Whoa, we are back for the 32nd episode of Home at Advantage Interview Podcast, and today we have our most accomplished guest, the man right behind me, Jordan Burroughs. This interview was our longest yet. Um, I mean, obviously, a guy like Jordan Burroughs, you have so much to talk about, and um, everybody knows Jordan Burroughs, everybody knows the stats, so I won't go through that, but um, yeah, this episode's awesome. We go from um, talking about the adversities that he had to face in his career and um, just so much more. Jordan Burrow is a fantastic guy, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. I'm going to let it roll right now. All right, Jordan Burrows, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Um, it's the same pleasure for me. You're the um, biggest guest I've gotten so far, and, and it's really a pleasure to, to be able to do this. But um, let's let's jump into the interview, start at the beginning of your career. Um when you got into youth wrestling how did you get into the sport and and what was that like so i started when i can't remember if i was five or six years old i just remember my first weight class was 45 pounds so i was a little guy i brought home a flyer basically from our local or from our elementary school that said join your local youth wrestling program we were the winslow eagles at the time and i used to watch wrestling on tv so i was a big wwe or wwf fan at the time and watching guys like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man, Randy Savage, and all of those guys, those who, those are the wrestlers I looked up to. When I was a kid, it wasn't Kale and John Smith and Kenny Monday. It was, you know, the ultimate warrior and the rock and all these guys. So it was a little bit different for me. And I was really small. I was the youngest of four. I was kind of the runt of the family. And neither of my parents even played organized sports growing up. So we didn't know a ton about what wrestling had to offer, but I enjoyed it right away. You got to win trophies. You got to travel around the tri-state area, stay in hotels and eat pizza after weigh-ins and like just do all this really cool stuff. I got to connect with some of the other wrestlers in my in my area and I loved it right away. I felt an affinity for it and I had a kind of a knack for it. I started to see some success early on um, and it was the best thing that I ever performed in. So I ran track. I played football. I did a little bit of baseball as a kid and wrestling was the one that I had the most success in the soonest. And so it was kind of like my thing. I just became a wrestler. So why do you think, um, what, was it just because of the success you had that you were drawn to the sport and um, and wanted to keep excelling in it, I guess? That's a good question. Wrestling wasn't my favorite sport growing up, believe it or not. I, I love football. I really love football. My dream was to be a wide receiver in the NFL. That's what I always wanted to be. I wanted to be a, like a small slot receiver, like a Wes Welker or a Julian Edelman. That was kind of the way I saw myself. But when I got to high school and I was a 103 pounder as a freshman, I was like, eh, there ain't a lot of guys in the NFL that are 103 pounds. This might not work out for me. I didn't have the size. But as a young man, I just liked every aspect of the sport. It was really unique and I felt purpose. And I felt um, confidence and I was pretty good at it. So my parents would take me to tournaments all throughout the East Coast. And it made me feel, it made me feel just like this, as this prominent figure where people wanted to see me compete. And my dad would spend a lot of time with me and he'd wake me up and we'd go to tournaments together. And it was, it was more of a bonding phase as a young man that I really liked that my dad was showing me the significant amount of intention. And so that kind of was why I loved it 
right away. And uh, then I actually started getting pretty good at it. And then, you know, it was kind of like, well, wow, you're winning these tournaments in such a short period of time. We've only been wrestling for a few years. Let's see how far we can go with this, what we can become. Never did I think I'd be at this level. But, you know, as as a kid, you're like, well, man, maybe I could be a state champ someday. That was the, the dream. Maybe I could be varsity on our high school team and be a state champion. And uh, that was what I always looked forward to as a kid. Did you ever, and was it just like the tournaments and the competitions that you enjoyed, or did you ever really love the practices too? Or what was what was the fun part for you that you really did enjoy? I liked playing games at practice. That was like the funnest part. We played like Duck, Duck, Goose at the end, or we played like Tag or... I don't know. We just do little, like the little monkey in the middle barrel rolls, like all crazy stuff that we used to do when we were kids. And that was fun for me. That was fun. I, I liked going to practice because it was a little technique, a little bit of live wrestling, but we always played a game at the end. And I love the brotherhood because I, I was from a non-traditional family. So my dad had two kids. My mom had one kid. They were married and then they had me. So I was the youngest of four. I had no full-blooded relatives. And my dad's son, who was my older brother, lived with his mom. So we lived in separate households. So I never really had that um, connectivity with my brother. We went to different high schools, played for different sports teams. So being in the wrestling room, I felt like I had 25 brothers. And that was really cool for me. So I got to bond with those guys. And I was have sleepovers with them on the weekends. And just little stuff like that made it meaningful to me. It was more of a brotherhood, and I established a ton of friendships through wrestling, and that's what kind of kept drawing me back year after year. For sure. Um, so looking forward to your high school career, um, You wrestled, did you wrestle for Sicklerville in high school? I did. I did. I went to, okay. it, well, it was So Sicklerville was a town that poured into my local high school, which was Winslow Township High School. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, you wrestled for them. You um, – you wrestled Frank Molinaro. Your was it your junior year in the state finals? Yeah, junior year in the state finals. Who actually re- you saw where he retired yesterday? I guess yeah, I that's was a, a, yeah. a little trip to to Frank. It's funny. I found a picture of Frank when he beat me in the state finals, and it's me like crying, and it's him like celebrating in the background. It's it's pretty funny. Um, but to go, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it was it's quite a journey. Yeah, and. Yeah, like you said, the funny thing is he just retired yesterday, and you guys wrestled. Um, guys, was he a sophomore when you were a junior? He was a sophomore, yeah. So, he's a year so, younger. Um, he's a year younger, and uh, he's already retired. And there are a lot of those. You're kind of outlasting them. I know. Um, that's, that's a but, good thing. My wife and I, Lauren, we were talking about that last night. Like We've seen so many families come and go. When I first got to the scene, I was a baby on the squad. And then fast forward a few years, we started to establish a family and there were other families on the team, right? We had the Delagnevs that we spent a ton of time with. And then we had the Scots that we spent a bunch of time with. Um, and now we're kind of like in this era where everyone's retiring and I'm outlasting guys that are even younger than I am. And uh, when we were at training camp, we were asking around everyone in the room who was 30 plus at the last training camp. And I think they're out of like 40 guys, there are only maybe five of us. Out of 40 that and were, I bet most of those were Greco guys too, right? Yeah, there were, there were a few Greco guys too. Um, and so I think it was Dan Valamont, Jason Ness, me, Frank Molinero, I believe Frank Pirelli, 
and uh there was one more guy i can't remember who was 30 but it was it was interesting to kind of see how it's it's transitioned you know and yeah. so it's, it's almost become like a young man now but i love it man well that that's that is pretty cool though to look at um like when you were in 2011 was your first experience on the world team and that world team is completely different from the one now or, or last year, I guess we could look at it. And the rules are completely different. And just so many things are, are absolutely not the same. And it's just funny to see all the different eras you've you've competed through. For sure. Um, but moving on a little bit more of your high school career, um, I know you, you've talked about before how you were state runner up in New Jersey. Uh, obviously, New Jersey is a really, really tough state. Um, one of the few to only have one class, which, um, I really like, I don't, I don't really like the multiple class thing, but, um, you were expecting calls from, from colleges and you were, you were hoping that, um, you'd be able to get on radars of, of different colleges and stuff. Um, but nothing really happened for a while. Could you just walk, walk me through that process a little bit of what was going on in your mind and everything like that at that time? Yeah, nothing popped off for me, bro. So I didn't place in the state until my junior year. Um, and this was a time period where you couldn't talk to guys until after their, their junior years. And I didn't know what recruitment was like, but I had a buddy of mine, my best friend, his name was Vince Jones. He was a year older than me. He was a fourth place at Fargo. He was nationally ranked. He was a junior national champ. Just did extremely well. Beast of the East, um, placer, all, of, all this good stuff. Two-time state champ in Jersey. So anyway, he was getting recruited. He was a year older than me. So when my junior year rolled around, I'm like, man, I want to get recruited too. Maybe I can go to college. This guy's my best friend. We wrestled together all these years. If he can do it, I can do it. So he was my inspiration. And so after my junior year, I finished second in the state. I thought for sure that it would be an opportunity for me to start receiving calls and have the ability to go on and take some visits and be recruited and maybe get some scholarship money. I knew I wasn't great yet, but I knew that I had some things to offer. One of the things that I always realized as a young man was I didn't have a ton of technical skill, but I was willing to work really hard. And I was just a subject of my environment. We had a really gritty, tough coach who made sure that our conditioning was on point and that we were always mentally prepared for any opponent. And he just taught us the basics, perfect the basics, get one or two shots from your feet, one or two things from bottom, always being able to get out, one or two things on top, always being able to ride a guy when um, – the circumstance called for it. But going into my senior year, I got I got no calls, no calls. So I went on zero official visits in the fall of my senior year, zero officials. Um, I, I didn't get invited to anyone's campus. I didn't get any phone calls. The one phone call I got was from a guy named John Trudgeon at VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to a military institute. There's no way, bro. There's no way I'm not doing it, um, even if it's free. And so I remember my coach was like, hey, listen, you're not getting recruited. You got to take this thing seriously. So anyway, fast forward to the end of the year, I finally become a state champion in a very close match, beat a kid named David Greenwald um, from St. Mary's High School, who was really tough. He actually wrestled at Rutgers for a year or two. And then I still wasn't getting recruited. And this is after my senior year. So we're in March April of my senior year, still no recruitments. I finally become a state champ, was a state runner-up last year, but most places had already accounted for all of the scholarship money that they were going to expend for the year. Right. And I'm like, oh, crap. 
I don't know what I'm going to do. So my coach comes to me with this pamphlet, it's the NHSCA senior national. It's like, listen, this is in Pittsburgh next week. We're going to go here. They're going to be college coaches in the stands. We're going to get you a scholarship, get your stuff packed up. We're going. So I remember my mom took me to Walmart and I bought like a bunch of like wrestling gear, just like some shorts and some t-shirts. And I trained for a couple of days. And I remember my dad, my coach and I, we drove up to Pittsburgh from my home in Sickler Road, which was about four and a half, five hours. And I competed that weekend and I beat a ton of guys on my way to shocking the world to me because I wasn't nationally ranked and I beat a bunch of multiple time state champs, guys that were already on scholarship, guys that were getting highly recruited. And I went out and beat these guys um, from all over the country. And that kind of solidified my place as a contender. And I remember Mark Manning was actually there that weekend. He was like, wow, like this guy's the real deal. And so he came to my house maybe two weeks later and he sat down with my family and he was like, hey, I want JB to come on a visit. And I went on a visit to Nebraska and it was the only place recruiting me. So I had, I was like, oh yeah, it's great. I love it. <laughs> but right. I didn't really get any offers anywhere. So it really didn't matter if it sucked or not. I was going to go. And uh, he offered me a scholarship and I was like, I'm going. He offered me a full ride. I'm, I'm going. There's, there's not a lot of even choices on the table. So I'm going to take it. And the rest is history. So now that you've been a part of, um, Nebraska and you've been kind of on the inside seeing what the coaches think what they look at and stuff um, for a little over a decade now why do you think you were not able to get recruited because looking looking at things most runner-up in the state of New Jersey are able to um, to find a college and pretty easily too mm-hmm. um, so why do you think it just so happened that that this time it didn't work out for you I think well, because I didn't place in the state my freshman and sophomore year. So I, I started to make monumental gains in a short period of time. And this was before all this connectivity. Like you couldn't right. just get on YouTube and flow wrestling and find a video of the kid and look at him and say, oh, this kid's good. I want to give him a call or send him a message, follow him on Twitter or Instagram. It was before that. So in, any, in order for anyone to see you at that time, you had to either have – yeah, I mean, the YouTube wasn't even around when I was in high school. That's how old I am, yeah. Sam. There was no YouTube when I was in high school. You had to, like, send DVDs. What people would do is, like, someone would record you on a VHS or, like, the mini little eight-millimeter tapes, and then they would get that transferred to a DVD. And so people had, like, highlight DVDs of themselves, of, like, their best matches. And then they would have, like, this questionnaire, and it was, like, a survey. And you put all your accomplishments. I'm a state runner-up. And I placed fourth at senior nationals, right, mm-hmm. 122 and four in high school. And you send that in, and they had to review it that way. But it was a much longer, much more tedious process at that period of time. Um and so I, I'd say I just came out of nowhere relatively quickly, and I was kind of like a flash in the pan. And guys didn't really know if I was the real deal or I just had a great tournament. Right. Uh, and so I had to kind of be more consistent with my performances before anyone took me seriously. And so, yeah, I would say that's probably why I didn't get highly recruited. That makes sense. So um, you ended up going to Nebraska, which uh, has worked out really well for you. Um, yeah, you built a pretty good relationship with, with the guys over there. But, um, you know, at, at first glance, a guy growing up in New Jersey 
going to college in Lincoln, Nebraska has got to be a big cultural change for you. What was that like when you first moved out to, to Lincoln? I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I would, you know what, Sam, I don't tell many people this, but I would sit in my dorm room and I would cry my freshman year of college because I had never spent any time away from home. And the longest I had ever been on the road, maybe three or four days, my mom did everything for me. She washed and folded my laundry. She made me dinner. She, you know, made sure I was taken care of, picked me up from practice. She was my go-to lady when I was a young man. And so when I got to college, I remember my parents drove me out here. It's a 20-hour drive from Jersey to Lincoln. Dang. And so they drove me out here with my girlfriend at the time. And I remember when I checked in, I went through registration, orientation, all this stuff, and they gave me the keys to my dorm. And my parents were still going to stay for an additional day. But I wanted to get into my dorm so bad because I'm like, yo, this is college. This is going to be amazing. I finally did it. I'm on a full ride to a big university, huge football stadium over here. I can't wait to see it filled with fans and go on and shock the world and do amazing things and be really cool. And my parents were like, no, no, stay with us one more night. So I was like, okay, fine. Begrudgingly, I stayed with them another night. And I remember the following day when they were leaving, they – kissed me goodbye and they hopped in the car and they drove off and pulled away. And I remember going into my dorm and kind of closing the door behind me and sitting down in my empty dorm room with just my box of stuff that I brought back from, from Jersey. And I was just like, man, like, this is, this is it. Like it, and it really hit me then. And I went from being the best guy on my high school team to just another guy on this team. Like I wasn't showing any, particular favor like I wasn't one of the coach's favorites I was just another guy and I was only a one-time state champ everyone was a state champ on the team every literally every single guy was a state champ we had guys that were four-time state champs undefeated never even lost a match in high school uh, and I took pride in my wrestling accomplishments and so I kind of wore those as a badge of honor and these guys had my accomplishments multiplied like tenfold I'm like damn what am I going to do? How do I separate myself? Like, I don't, maybe I don't belong here. This is really hard. This is really hard. My family's not here to support me. I'm having difficulty adjusting and getting through this. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I used to cry. I used to cry because it was hard and I wanted to go home, but I knew there was nothing for me at home. If I went home, I would just have to settle and get a job doing construction with my dad. And that's not the dream that I wanted to pursue. My dad would always tell me as a young man, like, hey, listen, you have the ability to control your own destiny. Work hard now. Do what you don't want to do now and live the rest of your life like a king. And uh, so I really took that to heart. And so I kind of toughed it out. And midway through my freshman year, the coaches wanted to pull my red shirt. And I wrestled off the guy in our lineup at 149. And I won and uh, took some lumps early on. But I really enjoyed being in the lineup and getting the specialized attention from the coaching staff, and that kind of really helped propel me to the next level. What was your first impression of Coach Manning? Um, obviously, I guess that was when he came to your house uh, for the recruiting trip, and then was that any different when you actually got to Lincoln and saw him coaching and, and he was your coach? Yeah, well, you know what? I think, well, the first time I ever met Manning, believe it or not, he was recruiting my buddy Vince who I was telling you about earlier. He oh, yeah. Okay. Only. So Vince and I were next door neighbors. Like we literally lived right next door to each other. And he was getting recruited by Nebraska. And Manning came to visit him and we were best friends. And so I was at Vince's house the day that Manning came to visit Vince. And so 
Vince introduced me to Manny, like, hey, this is my best friend, Jordan. He's a wrestler on our team as well. He's a 112 pounder. I was a little guy at the time. He's like, this is my buddy. And so I was like, hey, coach, like, this is cool. And so, but he didn't pay me any attention. I was just this young chump. I never placed in the state at the time. So he probably never even thought much of it. Uh, But I remember the difference was, you know, when you get recruited by someone and then when you actually arrive, you have to prove yourself. Right. I think you have to go through that refinement phase of where they, you show them that you really mean business because everyone that you get on the squad is not going to pan out. There are guys that struggle with, you know, managing time, managing school, staying out of trouble, um, wrestling at a high level. There's just so many things that you're going to have to deal with once you get to college. And one of the things that I realized was, I was a guy who wasn't highly recruited. I wasn't expected to do a ton, but I knew I was just willing to put the work in. And so Manning didn't, he, we didn't spend a lot of time together early on. Early on, we didn't spend a lot of time together. Once he realized that I was willing to put the work in and I was going to be um, a benefit to the program and that I was a guy who he could trust and count on, then right. relationships started to develop. So I'd say my freshman year, we were kind of just like, you know, a typical coach and athlete from afar, but we started to really develop a relationship my sophomore season, sophomore, junior year. And I kind of wanted, I want to jump there real quick. Um, you took, was it third as a fresh or as a sophomore at mm-hmm. the NCAA tournament? Mm-hmm. And then I know I've heard you talk about how in an interview, um, Coach Manning was asked about you being a leader on the team. And when, when Coach Manning talked about how he felt about you and, and how you were a leader on the team and how you were a warrior, um, that really motivated you mm-hmm. um, to continue to uphold what he had said. Um, and then that jump that you made, I've heard you talk a lot about that too, is um, sophomore to junior year that summer, um, you made huge jumps. What do you attribute that to, and why do you think you're able to make those jumps? And then, obviously, you moved up a weight, too, that year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, I, You know what? I think there are a few things that work. I started to really get big and strong. I wasn't a big, strong guy growing up. I was relatively small. I was a 135-pounder my senior year of high school, and I finished up my wrestling career at 65 in college. And So I really started to grow, get strong lifting regularly and that was important to my my physical development started to catch up with my technique so i just was able to improve i was i became this specimen this great athlete that people look at me now and they're like man this guy must have always been a great athlete but when i was young i was i was small um and then two yeah the coaches just really started to believe in me they put this additional amount of expectation on me and i never wanted to let them down i never had tremendous success so when I saw what I could do and what I could achieve if I put the work in, I really started to to work hard to get toward it. And then there were just like little moments where seeming seemingly insignificant at the time, but like Coach Manning saying that I was a warrior, I was going to be a national champ. Then I remember one time, so we would, in the preseason of each year, which is basically from August to October. Right you have, you know, preseason training. So basically it's just getting this baseline conditioning level before you start actual practices and the actual season later on and sometime in late October and November. And so we used to do stadium stairs every Friday morning, 6 a.m. at Memorial Stadium in Nebraska. We'd snake it all the way around. 
up every stairway, down every stairway, all the way around the entire stadium. It takes you about 25 minutes, grueling, exhausting, but it was it was legit for getting prepared. So I had three roommates that were all on the wrestling team my sophomore year of college. Um, or it was either my sophomore, I, yeah, my sophomore year. No, it was my it was my junior year. Excuse me. And so I was at the time I had a girlfriend in college, so I I wanted to. That Thursday night before we went to the state, do the stadium stairs on Friday morning, I stayed with my girlfriend. I probably should have stayed at home, but I ended up staying at my girlfriend's place. And so I wake up the next morning knowing that I have to be there at 6 a.m. Typically, me and my roommates, we'd all drive over together. I wake up that next morning, Friday morning. It's 6 a.m. My phone died in the middle of my sleep. My alarm clock didn't go off. I'm like, oh, crap. So now I'm at my girlfriend's house. I hurry up and wake her up like, hey, love, we got to get up. We got to go. I need to be at the stadium now. Well, I needed to be there 15 minutes ago, but <laughs> I got to get there now. So when I get there and the guys have already started running their stadium. And so I just get in. I don't even look at the coaches. I just start running because I'm, I'm embarrassed. I get like a dog with his tail between his legs. I just start running. I don't even look at him, say hello, good morning, anything. So I finish up doing um, the stadium stare and one of my coaches, our assistant coach, Mike Greenfield at the time, he comes over and he's like, JB, go, just run, just run again. And I'm like, oh, and so he made me run an entire stadium again um, while all the other guys were done. So these, everyone had, they'd done their hand fighting, they'd done their lifting, they're gone, they're home. And I had to run an entire stadium again because I was late that morning. And I remember coming down from the stairway and I'm exhausted from doing two in a row. And he's like, listen, we can't have the best guy on our team showing up late to a stadium stair or to a morning workout. And it, it was like, at the time, it really didn't mean much. But when he said that, I never looked at myself like the best guy on the team. And he was like, we can't have the best guy on our team not showing up on time. And I was like, damn, like, he thinks I'm the best guy on the team. Like, this is, I'm the best guy on the team. Like, this is my, my team. This is my squad. And I'd only been in Nebraska for two years. And so to go from 16 and 13 as a freshman to being considered the best guy on the team was a tremendous jump for me. And I, I took a lot of pride in it. I'm like, man, you know what? I got to do better. I'm going to stop, start operating at a higher level. And it was, it was, it was good, man. Things were good. And then... You ended up making um, the finals against Mike Poeta that year and yep. winning. Was it was it five to one? I think, I think it was five to two. Five to one, five to two. I'm not sure what the okay. score was. In a, in a and um, that was your first national title the year before you had taken third. Yeah. And what Coach Manning had said the year before is you had been you you would be a national champ had come true. Okay. Um, what what were the feelings like after after that match? Um. I was excited. There's two things when I was really excited, but I was also kind of disappointed because I was like, damn, this is it. You know, like sometimes achieving your goals isn't as fun as pursuing them because when they're just out of reach, you always have this dream. You always have this purpose. You always are excited about the day and you're grinding and you're like, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to reach it. I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to have this amazing performance. And so, when I actually did it, I was like, man, that was it. And now I got to come back and try to do it again. And so it was a little bit 
disappointing, but also it was cool because I had gone from where I was, this kid from Sicklerville, New Jersey, to an NCAA champion in such a short period of time that it was special. And it was a testament to effort and hard work, perseverance, discipline, consistency, all of these little character developments that I had once I arrived in Nebraska, but that were fortified and kind of built and established when I was in high school back in Winslow. And so, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It was a good experience. But I think instantly then I became, everyone knew I was the leader, right? So it wasn't just like this whispered in the hallways with the coaching staff or said when the door was closed in the office, now I became the unquestionable leader on the team because I was a guy, I was the national champ on the squad and, and people started looking up to me. And so, but I wasn't really start ready to operate like a leader. I was a good wrestler and I was a hard worker, but I wasn't a leader. Um, so I still had some things that I needed to improve on. That makes sense. Um, and then the next year is probably one of the, uh, the coolest parts maybe of your career is your senior year before you had the medical red shirt um, when you, you had three different huge adversities at the CKLV was it you um, busted your jaw. um, Then you had to take some time off. And then when you got back, your grandfather passed away and then you had to leave for that. And when you got back, you hurt your knee. um, And then, then you were done for the season because it was, it was that bad. What what was it in your knee that got hurt? My LCL, PCL. Goodness, that's that's terrible. And then uh, so you were out for the season, and then you barely made the uh, medical redshirt requirement. Yep. What what were the emotions going on? Because those, those are so many adversities just happened in such a short span of time. Um, what were the emotions going on? Um, it was just like – what did I do? Who did I make mad? Who did I, you know, cross at one time? I felt like it was karma. All these things happening in such a short period of time. It was rough. I was I was kind of lost for a little bit. And it was a dark place for me because I was this young man. I'd gone from being a national champ and feeling all of the success just a year ago to I couldn't even shower on my own. You know, I needed help getting down the stairs. I couldn't drive for a month or two. Like little things like that that I took for granted, put my pants on on my own, you know, getting leaning over to put my socks on, just things of that nature where I went from being one of the best athletes in the country to being, you know, kind of bedridden for a while, being stuck in a knee brace for six weeks, and not being able to wrestle for seven months. And there was a disconnect. I wasn't with the team. I was just rehabbing every day. So I wasn't in practice, didn't talk to the coaches a ton. I wasn't really spending a bunch of time with the guys on the road. I was just lifting and I was, uh, and I was rehabbing. But I think from that point, I realized that, okay, listen, if I do want to wrestle freestyle, I'm going to take this time to get bigger. So I made a commitment to going up to 165 the following year. And I really just started lifting, eating a lot of food and just staying big, staying strong. And yeah, that was a, that was a tough time. It was a tough time, but it, it helped to grow me. And it helped to give me a newfound hunger after winning that first national title. I got a little bit lazy. And if you look at the results from the first couple of matches from my original senior season before the red shirt, I wasn't really beating guys by a large margin the way I was doing a year before. And so I was having a difficulty refocusing. I thought that since I was a national champion, 
guys were just going to lay down for me. When it was the opposite, guys were actually going to wrestle me harder. They were going to give me their best shot. They wanted to beat me because I was the guy that was returning as the champ. And so, yeah, it was it was tough. It was a tough time, but it was it was imperative for my growth and my development. So I'm glad I had to experience it. Yeah. And uh, what, what part of the year were you able to um, to come back to the mats and start working out again? What what part were you healthy? Um, funny story is the first person I ever wrestled after coming back was Nick Marable. Um, and so Nick had just graduated and they were having a training camp at the Olympic training center that summer before the world championships. And so Manning brought me out and this was either July or uh, I think August, maybe August of 2010. I went out to the Olympic training center with Manning. And I had just only been drilling at the time. And he's like, hey, this kid Nick Marable's tough. Obviously, I watched him wrestle. We were in the Big 12. So I watched him at Missouri for a lot of years. And uh, he's like, go, do a couple of goes with this guy. And so we wrestled, and I felt good. And I was a little nervous at first because coming back from an injury, you're always kind of weird. You're like, man, am I going to hurt myself again? Can I wrestle full contact and not re-injure myself? So it was kind of a difficult time um, early, but... Yeah, it was good. It was good. I wrestled in August of that year, and I started to feel a little bit better. I got bigger and stronger, so I felt like I was going to be able to hold up, and I just needed to be confident that my knee was completely reconstructed and stable and that I could, right. I could do what I needed to do on it. Were you able to just get right back and, and have good confidence, or did it take a while? No, it took some time. It took it took me maybe about – it took me about two months of being back into wrestling before I started to, to be able to wrestle full time. So I started to, I didn't want to scramble really. I couldn't really sit back on my ankle when I was like in referees positions, just like little things like that. Yeah. But, hey, sissy, come here, baby. Or come here, mama. Hi. Can you say hi to Mr. Sam? Hi, Mr. Sam. Hey, Aura. How's it going? How's it going, sis? What's What's up, Aura? I'm gonna fix your pony, okay? It's been a crazy couple of weeks here, Sam. With these, I'm, I'm sure it has. At home and no school. We've been trying to keep them on point, even with. Hold on, sissy. I'm trying to do your pony, baby. You can't turn. Um, but yeah, everything's good. But it, it was a good time. It was a good time. It took me a while to get some confidence in it. But once I got my confidence back, I was like, all right, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. I feel good. I feel strong. Like, let's do it. Let's get to it. And that year, you really did. You came back and, and were able to dominate and eventually win the Hodge, um, which was, was that even on your radar at the beginning of the season that that was a goal of, of yours to win the Hodge? <laughs> no, because I couldn't pin. Even my senior year, I only had six pins. So I I couldn't pin. I could not pin anyone when I was in, in college. I just wasn't a pinner naturally, and I thought that you had to have a lot of pins. Right. But I, I got a ton of takedowns, and I tech-fought a lot of guys, and I was pretty much impossible to score on. So no one could really score on me, and I could score a ton of points. And It was really helpful coming back and beating Andrew Howe, who was an undefeated national champion the year before. Yeah. Many people considered him virtually unbeatable because of such dominance the year before. So that was that was really helpful for me to come back and beat a guy like that. That kind of wrote itself for me. So it didn't really matter. Yeah, you could pin a bunch of average guys or you could beat 
a stud, absolute stud. And so that's what I think kind of put me over the edge was I had a really tough weight class with Caldwell and uh, and then also how. Well, um, who, who else was in that um, Hodge race with you? Who, who, um, who were the Hodge finalists that year? I think, I think Jordan Oliver was was probably the runner-up that year. He was undefeated national champ, and he had wrestled extremely well. I'm trying to think of some of the other guys. I remember John Reeder, Jordan Oliver. Um, it's you. Yeah, that's me in the background. And uh, I'm trying to think of who else was undefeated that year. Oh, Kyle Dake was a national champ that year. So I imagine it was, it was probably a really close race, but I remember Mike Finn from uh, Win Wrestling Win, calling yeah. me when I was at home. So spring break was the week after the NCAA championships and NCAAs were in Philly. My hometown's only 20 miles from Philly. So I got a chance to stay at home the next week and he called me like, hey, this is Mike Finn from Win Wrestling. I just wanted to let you know that you won the Hodge Trophy. And I was so excited, bro. I was so hyped. I was like, yeah. I called like all my friends, all my family. I'm like, yeah, I won the Hodge. Like, it was unbelievable. I couldn't wait to, till it was publicized. I was excited. That's so cool. And you know, you're talking about not being able to pin pin guys that you didn't really think it would happen. But Spencer Lee won it a couple of days ago, and he he had like what was it four pins on the season? Yeah, we have four pins. Yeah, there's something really low, but he had like texts? 12, 12 to fifteen texts or something. Yeah, and yeah. he had. I feel it. There's so I don't know, man. It's there's so much to. I'd never really seen such a clear-cut Hodge race as when Bo Nick won because he was such a pinner, right? He had like yeah. 20 Mommy. pins. Yeah, those are pretty good. And so it was just a different different race then. But yeah, even looking at this year, that well, number one, there were just so many undefeated guys that I'm sure that the NCAA tournament would have separated them. Of course, yeah. Uh, a lot of them were in the same weight. Yeah, and some of them in the same weight class, which is unbelievable. Yeah. That's cool, baby. And uh, so, yeah, I but, you know, Spencer is tough. And I think he strikes fear in the heart of his opponents. And I think that that is one of the elements of being a Hodge Trophy winner is that right. you have to have this mystique about you where people stop to watch you wrestle and they know that this is going to be a really difficult match. And some of them don't even believe that it's possible to beat you. Um, and I think Spencer possesses all of those things. He wrestles at a high level. He won the you know US Open in December in dominant fashion. Right. I think he's definitely the most dominant wrestler. Maybe not the best pinner, but the most dominant. I'm really excited to see him compete freestyle for the next years because he's just a sophomore in college this year. Yeah, what do you think? He's got so much potential. He he really does. Would you uh do you think he, he has a shot? I do. I really do. I was actually picking him. Um just the way he's looked at the rumors I've heard of um, him wrestling Gilman in the room and everything. I, I think I actually think he's gonna win it, or at least the Olympic team trials. Yeah. But who knows when those will be, um, though, because that that could be next year, right after NCAs or something. I just hope hope it schedules well. Um, but anyway, um, back back to your career. Um, so, 2011 was was that your first? Had had you ever competed in the um, like trials or U.S. Open or anything like that? No, first first high level tournament. I wrestled at universities, which on U twenty threes back when I was yeah. freshman. But uh, that was it. 
that was it. I had never wrestled in in the Open or the Trials yet. That was my first time to 2011. Okay. Um, so were, were you on a junior world team, though? I was, yeah, yeah. I did. So, I wrestled. I wrestled Fila Juniors. Um, did you Did you get to compete um, at the World Championships? Because I know I did, some years they they didn't I, really let the I juniors got, compete. I wrestled. I was two and one. I won my first two matches. Lost in the quarterfinals to a guy from Hungary, and the Hungarian lost to the Russian in the semifinals, and I was done. Have you seen those two guys one. since then on the senior level? No, I don't even remember who those guys are. To be honest, I, I would love if I could find a bracket with those, the names of those individuals that are on there. Yeah. I imagine might might still be around, but that was 2008, so it's I mean, it's been 12, almost 13 years now, so yeah, I don't know. Well, that'd be cool if you could figure out, you said it's a Hungarian, then a Ru- he lost to the Russian in the finals? The Russian, who was, who was the eventual champ, and I was at 66 kilos to I'm then. sure those guys were probably around, they were they might have been like 25 though at the time, so who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's why I retired, right? They were already 30 when they were competing. Yeah, that's that, that's so funny that stuff like that happens. Um, and that they still lose somehow. Like just imagine if just imagine you competing at the Junior World Championships. For sure. Um, like how how would you lose to a kid? Um, I, I sometimes I just don't get how they. Why they do it, how they do it, and how they ever lose. Um, well, they, I, I imagine for them, there's so few spots. Right. You know, and they're great wrestlers that, well, just look at here, right? Think of all the time that we've had Dake and Taylor, and they've not had the ability to wrestle the world championships until 2018 and 2019. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, Russia has that tenfold because their depth is so – um, they just have so much depth um, up and down their lineup. So there are a lot of guys who get lost in the shuffle of what it's going to be like. Just think of guys this year, like Godzi Megamedov at 74 kilos. You got guys like Bayev, the world champ at 70, who won't probably won't get a shot. You got the other Godzi, you know, um, at 79. So they had a champ at 70, or they had two 70 champs champ at 79 and all those guys are probably just washed they'll just, right. they'll just be out. um and then a champ at 74 behind sitikov and well he wasn't a champ but um sabalov oh, yeah yeah, yeah so you Sabalo. got Sabalo, yeah you know and then you got all these other weight classes where you've got guys are just leaving right you got guys saridov and you know opansat and whatever his name is now and beck Baladov and all these guys and uh Freaking Bogomoyev and all these guys that are yeah. amazing wrestlers. That you just, I mean, that's the hard thing about Olympic wrestling. This is a conversation for another day, but you know, you create 10 weight classes and you make it same day weigh to prevent guys from cutting weight, but then you also make it six weight classes for the Olympic Games. And a lot of guys are phased out. Like if you're a tweener, you're phased out. If you're 70, a true 70 kilo, a true 61 kilo, you're phased out. You right, can't right. really. You, it's it's hard to make the jump to either weight class, and so it's it's a difficult thing that way. And to six weight class, there's just such large gaps. Like I'm I'm 26 pounds up to go to 86. I'm 20 pounds down to go to 65. It's impossible. It's impossible increase in terms of size. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but whatever. I hate that they have have that, um, but I just feel like the IOC is trying to just squeeze squeeze out wrestling as as much as they can. They dropped it down to sixteen guys in a bracket, six weights. Next time, one weight class, just like it's just called wrestling. Just one weight class. Yeah, (laughs) Greco, (laughs) Greco women's men all mixed together. That'd be so funny. Together, just everyone, just the two weight classes, like one seventy five and below, and one seventy five and above. Everyone just scrap, go for it. And instead of each country sending a team, it's like each continent sending a team or something. That'd be funny. That'd be scary. It's like you got the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. You guys send a guy. Yeah, it's wild, man. They really squeezed. They really squeezed us where it's the depth has changed. But I, I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm curious how this next Olympic Games will be run. I know wrestling is huge in Japan. Right. Um. Women's Especially wrestling. women's wrestling, yeah. yeah. Wrestling even more. Uh, but I think it'll be a hot ticket in, in Japan. So yeah, I'm looking forward to trying to be a part of it. Hopefully everything stays the same um, in terms of, like, it's in Tokyo. Everything works together and, and stays synonymous. But um, Yeah. So your first trip to the World world Championships, you had to beat, was it Andrew Howe to, to make Andrew the team? Howell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just Cinderella run all the way. You've won Worlds. How unexpected was that to you, first and foremost? Like, was that a goal of yours that you really expected yourself to achieve? Or was it, you like, you really surprised yourself? And then how much did you surprise others? Because at this time, I wasn't really following the sport nearly as much. Um, yeah, you were probably so like, I didn't really get to experience. You were at the time, probably. Yeah, I was like five, <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, what was that like when you won? Um, it was, I, I think I surprised other people more than I surprised myself. I knew what mm-hmm. I was capable of and I knew that I was just a good wrestler at the time. Like I wasn't right. a freestyle wrestler, but I was a good wrestler period. I could push guys out of bounds all day. I can, you know, lower my level and, and shoot double legs. I knew my offense was world-class. No matter what anyone said, I knew my offense was world class. I knew my conditioning was world class. And I was just going to keep myself out of freestyle positions where I could be exploited. Right? It's like if you're a golfer and you're playing a really hard course, you just try to keep the ball in the fairway. Like, right. I'm going to lay up when I have to. I'm not going to try to go you know, over the water in two shots. I'm going to just make sure that I cut my losses, shave points off of my score keep myself in position to win and that's what I was able to do and at the time the rules favored me because you only had to wrestle really two minutes at a time it's like yeah. I could beat anyone in a two-minute match I just gotta beat you for uh, just two minutes at a time I can beat anyone in two minutes um and so yeah it was I believed I believed I thought that I could win I knew that it was going to be hard and I knew that when I saw my draw and I was going to have to go through Sargush because I knew a lot about Sargush. His reputation yeah. preceded him. And Manny had been at the World Championships the year before and brought home a packet of DVDs. Like, hey, if you're going to wrestle freestyle and you're serious about this, this guy at 74 kilos, two-time world champ, Dennis Sargush, you've got to watch this kid. He's tough. And I remember after weigh-ins, my, in 2011, I drew the number one on my ball. And so it put me at the very top of the bracket. And... I was like, oh, this is like a, a 
prelude for something great tomorrow. Like, I'm going to have a great tournament. And then the draws came out, and I saw I was going to have to wrestle Sargush my second match. Second round, yeah. I'm like, well, you know, at least I made the team. <laughs> but I but I honestly, I thought that I could do it because I, I was just like, let's see what I can do. Let's see what I can do. I think I have the skills. I think I have the talent. I think I'm ready. Let's see what I can do. Um, and so it was one of those things where I felt him out a little bit and may have given up a few points that I shouldn't have, but I wasn't extremely confident. But I knew that if I could take him into the third period, I could I could wear him down and 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 win the match. And so yeah, it was. I remember finishing up that match. I was so emotionally overwhelmed. I felt like I was going to pass out. I was like drain my emotions were so high everyone was all around me they were so excited like wow do you know who you just beat Remember my girlfriend from back at home she was like sending me a message on my cell phone at the time so i was listening to music on my cell phone she sent me a message like congratulations you're a world champ she thought when i beat sargushi was the reigning world champ oh, that yeah. world champ she didn't realize i still had three matches left in the rest of the tournament um but it, it was good it was good and I remember at the end of the day, just hugging everyone and dapping everyone up like, damn, I'm a world champ. Like, I'm the best wrestler in the world. And it was really cool. And that was kind of, that was the start of, of everything, of all of this, of, of my career and my ambassador and role as face of the USA Wrestling. That was kind of, that was kind of the beginning of that and a grooming phase to prepare for all of this. And it was, it was special though. It, there's nothing like it. The first one's always the best one. Was Varner on that team, or, or did anyone else win that first year? That or In 2011, the first year you were on it? No, we only had two medals, actually, that year. Um, we finished third as a team, though. So we had that, – and that was when Kale was on the team. I don't know if you were following wrestling at all then. Oh, you were still – Yeah. That's right. You are saying you are a kid. But um, I, I've seen results, and I remember seeing Kale on that team. Like, yeah, so I think – crazy. At 57, we had um, Nick Simmons, who finished fifth. 61, we had Reese Humphrey, who didn't place, but he won a couple of matches. 65, Tian Ware, he got beat his first match. 74, I won it. 86 was Kale, who took fifth. 97 was Varner, Hans. And then Turvell, I believe, was fifth. Yeah. Um, so I, solid, solid squad. A lot of guys in metal matches. A couple of guys didn't close them out, but a lot of guys in metal matches did well, did fairly well. Yeah. Um, was that the year when you were wrestling Sargush that he was pulling on your singlet and ripping it and stuff? Or yeah. is that the next year? Yeah, that was it. That was 2011. Okay. He was singlet. Yeah. I, I've seen that match before. It's just a crazy one. Um, I think, was it Bader commentating and... He got so into it. It was funny. I've never, obviously, I don't think he was commentating it for the consumption of anybody other than Americans and, and diehard fans um, yeah. for USA. But it was funny because he kept screaming, like, you can't do that and stuff like that, like the yeah. entire match. And it was funny. Yeah, it was uh, It was a good time, man. It was everything's grown, even wrestling media from then. They were just, USA Wrestling just had video cameras up in the stands. Yeah, very Abbott, and you know, thing was just kind of starting to try to establish itself at the time, but they really didn't have a deep fan base. So it's wild to see how everything's come full circle. It's it's really grown so much to the point where, 
I mean, if I was born five years earlier, I don't think any of this would ever have happened where, where I've been and everything like that. It's just completely crazy. But, um, so the next year was the Olympic year. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought about before had you have thought about um how you were had did you plan out at all trying to be the 74 because that's an olympic weight or did that just Um, come naturally because you were 65 in college yeah well because i was i was 65 in college so i knew 74 was a perfect weight class for me um and the previous year or previous two years i've been a 57 pounder and i was kind of between her and that's why even after winning the national title and 20 or 2009 and the world team trials were right in council bluffs iowa which is right across the river from omaha so an hour drive from lincoln but then i was automatic qualifier being the champion at 165 that year but i didn't want to uh wrestle because i felt like i was too small and trent travis polson actually spent a year as assistants here at nebraska and so those guys taught me a lot and they were really helpful and establishing like a freestyle mindset in my wrestling career. But I uh, I didn't, I, at the time, I don't even know if there were non-Olympic weights. All world championships weights were, were oh, really? at the time. Yeah, so every weight at the Worlds was a weight at the Olympics. So it never even really mattered at the time. We, we were just in a new era where, you know, there were less weights. Because at the time, there were seven weights at the world, seven weights at the Olympics. You know, now they changed to... You know, there was eight weights at the Worlds, then six weights at the Olympics. Now there's 10 weights at the Worlds and only six at the Olympics. So they continue to go up at the World Championships and down at the Olympic Games. There used to be 10 weights at the Olympic Games, which is wild to think about. Yeah. I Man, I still hate that they have to keep getting it down. But um, again, that year you wrestled Andrew Howe. Did he forfeit the second match? He did. He, he, he he tore his ACL in the first match. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Yeah, it was. Um, it stunk for him. It was great for me because I yeah. want to wrestle him again. I was like, Whoo. I I won. I'm on the team. One match. This is great. I'm sure after six minutes of him pulling on your head, you oh, got to yeah. get really tired. Sore for about two weeks after that. That's a that's a big scary guy right there. But yeah. um, he's tough. So I I've I've, t- I've heard Yanni talk about this a little bit, um, just the difference in value between the Olympics and the Worlds. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he, he had a pretty good philosophy on a little bit. Um, but I want to hear your opinion on whether you value the Olympics more than Worlds. Why, if so, and then do other people value it more? And was it harder to win that Olympic title than it was to win the world title the year before? No. I'd say it was harder to win the Worlds because it was my first time and I wasn't really adjusted to freestyle yet. I was a lot more savvy, a lot stronger, a lot more confident the second time around. But it was a little scary because I was well known the second time around. So when you come in and no one's ever seen you, no one expects much of you or have watched any video, recruited, scouted, and you're kind of like, this guy that's a dark horse and you just go out there and shock the world. That's a game changer. But when people start to expect things from you now, there's an added amount of pressure and there's expectation. There's anxiety that is associated with that. There's just a little bit different mental demand for, for that going in the second time around. But I knew 
that I was confident because I had won the world championship the year before. I went to the World Cup, went undefeated, beat some really good guys there, and I knew that Sargush was going to be my hardest match. So Sargush was one of those guys where no matter how many times you beat him, you always knew it was going to be a tough match. Right. Didn't really widen the gap. I always knew that it was going to be a difficult matchup for me because our styles clashed. Um, and so that was that was one of those things. But so going into the 2012 Olympics, I felt good. I felt strong. I had a good season. I remember I won the Schultz that year. I went down to Cuba and won the Cerro Pilato in February. And then I won the trials in, in April. And then I won the World Cup a few weeks later in Baku, Azerbaijan that year. And I think that was our last competition of the summer. But we had some really good training camps. Our conditioning was really good. Zeke was still the coach at the time. He really put an added emphasis on making sure that our our conditioning level was was really elite, and I felt I felt good. I felt good about what I was doing, but it was a little bit easier because of the run that I had to make. Like my first match, I had Puerto Rico, which right. it, this was before Gomez, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so this one, Gomez was still at sixty one, and so it was much different for me because it was an easy matchup. Tech fall to Puerto Rican was moving on relatively quickly. Then my second match, I had a kid Matt Gentry from Canada who was tough. He was actually a two time NCAA champion at Stanford wrestled for Canada um, and so I knew he was tough but I had drilled a few times with him and I knew that I could get him and so beating him put me in the semifinals only two matches to get to the semis and I knew I had Sargush and so that was going to really be the toughest match of the day I knew and if I could win that then I could potentially win the Olympic gold because on the other side was Sadiq Gadarzi from Iran who was tearing everyone up on the bottom side and I had just beaten him for a second time at the uh, at the World Cup, you know, just two months earlier. And he couldn't he couldn't get to my legs. Like he, I knew he couldn't score on me. Um, and so I felt confident that if I could beat Sargus, that I could be an Olympic champion. But right, he's a tough nut to crack with Sargus. So right. I got. I got some some good things happened that match, and there were some really really sketchy moments where they were kind of dicey. And if he would have you know stepped to the left or stepped to the right, or if I would got a little bit overzealous, or I would have been able to hold on for a single second longer, um, would have changed the dynamics of the match. But it was it was a great match, and it was it was cool going down to the last sequence in which I was able to go ahead and score multiple sequences and 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 put them away, and that was special for me because I remember going. That was the last match of the session. Like there were no other matches going on at any other mat in the arena. And I remember how hype it was when I won that match to go to the gold medal final that evening. And Rich Bender, executive director at USA Wrestling, had like a hotel room right across from the venue. And I remember going back to his hotel room to shower and get ready for the finals. And I was just sitting there like, wow, I'm in the Olympic finals. I'm in the Olympic finals. And he reminded me because this is when they had just established to live in the dream fund. And so to win Olympic gold was $250,000 and to win an Olympic silver was only $50,000. So it was a $200,000 difference. It's like you win the gold, you get 250. If you win the silver, you only get 50. He was like, this is a $200,000 match that you're about to wrestle in right now. $200,000. Oh my God. I was like, 
And okay. he told you this before the match? Yeah, told me this. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, goodness. No <laughs> pressure, but $200,000 on the line. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's awesome. Um, so, looking at it, do you think that you put more value on the Olympics than you do the World Championships? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Olympics are um, more rare every four years. 16 guys qualify. There, there are 45 guys at every world championships. They happen every year. There are a ton of world champions. You know, there's only and there's only, and there's 10 weight classes at the worlds. There's only six at the Olympics. Olympics are much more special, unquestionably. And that would be because really because it's harder because you get 16 guys out of six weights and everything because there's more competition. It just holds more value because it would be tougher. Tougher to win? No, I don't really even think it's tougher necessarily. I When I won the world championship in 2015 in Vegas, I had six matches in one day. Six matches in a single wow. day. And I wrestled Poland, Ukraine, uh, Hungary, Iran, Russia, Mongolia. And, and then as I mentioned at the Olympics, when I won the Olympics, I wrestled Puerto Rico, Canada, and then Russia, Iran. Um, so four matches in comparison to six in wrestling Canada and, you know, in Puerto Rico at the time where, where they weren't, you know, extremely elite guys. So I think winning the Olympics is just more prestige because it's rare and there's just so much more surrounding. You get more money, you get more recognition. There's a year lead up, you know, you, you, you're doing promotion right. shoots and photo shoots and sponsorships and you know, it's a worldwide event that everyone stops and watches and is invested in. So I think the world championships, people are like, many people don't even know that we have world championships. Like I'll, I'll be around and I'll see someone that I haven't seen in a long time. I'll be like, Hey, JB, like, how's everything? Like, are you still wrestling? And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, what do you mean? Are you still wrestling? Cause they like, haven't seen you people, since 2016. They yeah. They they just like if if it's not the Olympic Games and they don't know it's not in the paper all the time, right? It's not right. on the news, you know. It's it's not being pushed as as you know primarily as uh, Olympic Games would be. So a lot of people don't even know what Olympians do in this limbo stage between cycles. They just think we just hang out and then once the Olympic year rolls around, we just get back to training, get ready again. That's so crazy. Um... But this year, I mean, this cycle, I guess, you got five years in between it. Yes, yeah, um, a long cycle, right? Yeah. It's a long one. But um, looking forward, 2013, the year after the Olympics, this is when the rules changed from multiple periods to the one period, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, you had to beat Kyle Dake. Was that your first time ever wrestling Kyle Dake in a match? That was. Well, I wrestled him in practice a few times. We did okay. some- matches that was the first live competition yeah so um kind of the beginning of a of a long time rivalry um yeah and this time it was ot um the second match was overtime um do you like overtime would you rather have overtime or criteria mm. in your competition i'm torn on that sam i think about this often I honestly don't know which I would prefer because they both make sense. They do. They both they do. Both make sense. And to the average fan, they probably don't really understand criteria 
to someone who's casual or just watching wrestling for the first time. But I think anyone who competes understands that you know you know criteria. It's always been criteria. Even in the old rule set, in periods, there was still criteria. Right. If there was a tie score, you know, whoever had the last score, whoever had the largest scoring combination won. That that's it's nothing new. I think now it's just determining a match and not just a period. So people are a little bit more on edge about it. But um I think overtime would be good, but it all it would also lengthen the the length of matches and the length of a tournament itself. I think you understand that criteria works I, I i'm a fan of both like honestly yeah if it went either way it wouldn't really bother much i understand both and i think uh i think they both work um i think they both work i've lost a lot of criteria matches though uh, most of my i think more than so i have i think i have nine losses and more than half of my losses are by criteria um in my in my freestyle career so and you gotta think a lot of those if if they went overtime, would you would you really think you'd be able to win that? Because 100%. especially like especially foreign wrestlers, like I, I would want. If, yeah. if everyone those that went criteria, I I hundred percent think I would have won. Because you you go back to your feet with a fresh clock and you just have to score the next point. Um, I put myself and yeah. I bet on myself every time. I interviewed Doug Schwab um, earlier this week, and he talked about. Um, a coach told him, you never lose, you just run out of time. And That's he good. really took that to heart. And with um, overtime, that kind of eliminates that factor. Like, it's all in your control. There's, there's, You just have to get the next takedown. You don't need to worry about time. Um, and I think especially wrestling foreign wrestlers, a lot, I think all of your matches would have been overturned if it wasn't criteria and it was overtime. Sure. First of all, they don't have the gas tank. Second of all, the IQ isn't the same. Um, just stuff like that, I think. Both you, of them have, have good um, values to them, for sure. I, I don't know which one I like more. I know. I'm, I'm kind of torn about it, too. It's, it's hard to decide. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, if you created overtime, let's just say it's a tie match with a minute left. Who are you? And you know what? There's an overtime, really? Are you going to shoot? Are you going to no. take any risks? No, you're not. You know, are you going to go for yeah. broke trying to win it in regulation? I don't think many people would. I think you sit on that over t- or you sit on that criteria or you sit on that time and you try to, to overtime where you know the next point wins. Um, so I think it would it would it would change the dynamics of the match and it would be really dicey with referees subjectivity calling, you know, right. passivities and, you know, cautions and things like that. So, yeah. I think I think criteria works. Me too. Um, but it's just a good um, debate to have, and I think I don't think criteria is going anywhere in freestyle, and I don't think overtime is going anywhere in folk style. I think they're just going to stick with what they have right now. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. But that year you beat Kyle Dake, and then this this year was um, probably one of the most interesting you've had uh, when you broke your ankle was it it was two weeks before four right four weeks um so you were getting to the point where you could still um you could still like be healthy by the time but not not at all healthy if you know what i mean like you were able to wrestle 
but not nearly a hundred percent. What was it like? Like, how did you break your ankle? And then what was the next four weeks like for you? Well, I broke my ankle running sprints, um, <laughs> broke my ankle running sprints in the wrestling room at the OTC. So we would, what we do, we start at the wall, we run down, touch the end of the mat, and then we run back and we stop ourselves at the wall. So a lot of guys were like pulling up with their hands on the wall. Or right. you know how you stop yourself and turn around, you kind of do that pivot and you plant your foot on the wall. And yes. Turn. Um, so anyway, I was in a full sprint on the way back against Obi Blanc and I'm a competitor. I want to win every single, everything. If there's yeah. something, I want to win it. And, and Obi's fast. And Obi's fast too. So I was trying to win this sprint and we were getting closer to the wall. So I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He's not pulling up. I'm not pulling up. I'm like, I'm going to win this sprint. It was a very last sprint practice. Of course, always the last one that you get hurt on. Right. And so anyway, right. he doesn't pull up. So we run full speed through the wall. And so instead of kind of jumping into the wall with my back or my shoulder, I just jumped up with my foot on the wall. But I didn't like run up on the wall. I kind of just like jumped up and pivoted like this. And I remember my toe went like way back, like almost Man. like touched my chin and it just snapped. Like I could feel it. Like, I, like as soon as I hit it, I felt it. I knew. I knew instantly. Um, and I was like, I just dropped in pain, like, oh, 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 baby. And so I remember hopping up on one foot because I didn't want anyone to see me. I hopped up on one foot and I hopped out of the wrestling room. They had a door open. I hopped out of the wrestling room and I just laid on the sidewalk and I'm like rolling around, writhing in pain. Like, ouch. And I remember Brandon Slay, who was um, coaching at the OTC at the time. He was the developmental coach. He comes out and he's like, hey, are you okay, JB? And I was like, no, I, my ankle's broken. I broke my ankle because I could feel the pop in there. And he's like, okay, let's just get you down to sports med. So he picks me up, throws me across his shoulder. He's literally carrying me in a fireman's carry all the way down to the training room on the other side of the OTC. And I'm it's still in my wrestling shoes. I got my tights on. I got no shirt on. Uh, I'm in a full sweat because we're finishing up practice. They lay me down, and there's this idiot doctor in there. This guy is like, I did this. I don't even know if he was a, a doctor. I think he was just like a trainer, and he was like a young guy. He didn't really know a ton. He didn't know me, obviously, because he's like, he's feeling around on my ankle. He's like, okay, does this hurt? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, does this hurt? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what about this? I'm like, bro, everything you're doing to me hurts. My ankle is broken. I just need to go and get an MRI so we can confirm this and he's like well i don't want to get an mri our main doctor he is not here right now it's a guy named dr dustin nabhan he's not here so i'm gonna have you try to walk on it for a little bit so i'm like oh, okay goodness. so he's like well just 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 try to stand up and, and walk on it we'll see if you can walk on my like, bro like it really hurts he's like just see so i kind of hop up and i'm like <laughs> Kind of giving like one of those little limp walks, and right, he's right. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's not." He's like, "It's not broken. If if it was broken, there's no way you'd be able to walk on it." Oh, and I'm goodness. like, "This guy," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like, you just asked me to walk on it. I'm tough enough to withstand pain to walk on it, but it's not pleasant, bro. It's hurt." So anyway, this guy's like, "This one, I'm gonna have you do. This is a Thursday. This Thursday afternoon." He's like, "I have you go home for the weekend. Just ice it." And come back and see us on Monday. And if it still hurts on Monday, then we'll get an MRI. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I got world championships in 27 days. 27 days from the day that I broke my ankle was the day I was supposed to compete at Worlds. So 
I'm like, no, I need to see the main doctor. And he's like, well, the main doctor's out. He won't be in until this evening. I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll, I'll sit here and wait until he gets back. So I remember I went back to my room. I showered. They just gave me some crutches. I'm crutching around campus. And I go back and doctor's like feeling it. He's like, all right, let me take a little ultrasound. So he does ultrasound. He sees like damaged tissue around the ankle, sends me over to the hospital, come back with the results. He's got a DVD, puts it in. Zeke and Manning are in there. He's like, all right, you see this little crack right here? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's a fracture. You fracture your medial malleolus, which is like bone in your ankle when you jump. You put a lot of pressure on there. He was like, I don't, I'm going to call my our doctor, a guy named Dr. Shank. Um, he's like, I'm going to call our doctor, see what we can do. So this is Thursday night. Friday morning, I had an appointment with the doctor. Go to see Dr. Shank. And he's like, do you want to wrestle? And I'm like, he's like, your ankle's broken. He's like, do you want to wrestle? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I want to wrestle. And he's like, have you eaten yet this morning? And I was like, no, I haven't eaten anything yet. He was like, all right, meet me back at this hospital in four hours. We're going to do the surgery like this afternoon. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm what? He's like, yeah, I'm, I, I was supposed to go on a golfing trip. I'm going to cancel my golf trip. You just... Go get your things, pack your bags, and then meet me at the hospital. At This was like at maybe like 11 a.m. He's like, meet me back at the hospital at 3. We're going to do the surgery this afternoon. Um, and so we did surgery the very next day. And he put a plate and some screws in there. And I remember leaving training camp because we were trying to be secretive about it. So we just dipped out in the middle of the night. Right when I finished my surgery, we just left camp and we didn't tell anyone. Everyone was hit me up like, hey, JB, are you good? Where are you? What happened? Why'd you leave camp? And I was like, oh, yeah, I just got an ankle sprain. I'm just going to go back and heal it up. I didn't tell anyone my ankle was broken. So in that next three weeks leading up to the Worlds, I just, like, biked. I just So basically, I would just bike. First, I would just, like, airdyne. Then I would put my feet down on the airdyne and just, like, use all arms. And then I would pedal a little bit. And then I put a chair down. And then Manning would bring dumbbells over to me. I would sit down in the chair, do curls. Sit down in the chair, do overhead presses. And I would get my crutches and I would crutch over to the rope, do rope climbs, crutch over to the pull-up bar, do pull-ups. And so you can do it. You can do, always do something. Even no matter how hard you are, you can always do something to still progress um, and and get yourself to a place where you feel like you're ready. But the great thing is it was the last training camp before the world, so I was already in tremendous shape. I felt good. My weight was good. Um, and then like the week before we were supposed to leave, I couldn't even do stance in motion. Because I could hardly walk. So what we did is I had to go to a sand volleyball pit. We found a sand volleyball pit where there was a ton of sand. And we would just do like stance in motion in the sand. And then I finally got to Budapest and I met with all the guys. They had done training camp, but I missed training camp, went straight to Budapest. And when I got there, Kyle Dake was the runner-up at the world team trials. So he's like, JB's hurt. This is awesome. I'm going to get a chance to wrestle. I'm going to compete in his place because he's – to hurt obviously to wrestle he just broke his ankle and so zeke the head coach at the time he's like hey jb i need to see you wrestle before i let you compete tomorrow i need to see you wrestle and so brian snyder was there with me our assistant coach and my one of my personal coaches and he's like all right let's wrestle so we wrestle like a six minute match i look good and he was like all right you're good to go you can wrestle tomorrow and so i just like took a bunch of meds they gave me like a bunch of pain meds um just like after every match i took meds um, just to like kind of curb the pain. And uh, at the time, I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. Like I couldn't really do anything to like I had to just warm up on the bike because I my I could wrestle. That was the only thing I could do was wrestle and like take a shot.
And so I taped my ankle up real heavy, took a bunch of medicine and, and got it done. And uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then we just kind of told everybody like what we had experienced. Everyone was like, man, like, are you, are you sure you're okay? I think there were starting to be some grumblings where people knew that I really seriously injured myself, but they weren't sure how serious it was. But right. kind of just like, yeah, I broke it. So you were able to just stay in shape from just running or biking, I mean? Yeah, just biking. Biking stands wow. motion. Well, biking and, and like in lifting. Yeah, so I would, I just wow. air down like hard, just hard, <laughs> keeping my heart rate high. And uh, that's all I needed because I was, I was in really good shape. So three weeks of that might actually help me because I didn't have to like beat my body up wrestling like the rest of the guys were. I was kind of just getting my heart rate up otherwise um, and staying away from, from the painful wrestling and scrapping all the time. That really is so crazy. Um, but you were able to win once again. Your streak was still going of um, undefeated. But, um, I mean, what was the reaction like of, of the wrestling community after you won that, that match? Or after you won that tournament, I guess. It was like, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty cool. It was, there was like this sense of invincibility. It was like, wow, Burroughs already undefeated now breaks his ankle four weeks ago and still wins this like and i was the only medalist on the whole freestyle team that year um so was, was, was it, varner back no varner was he retired well he had taken some time off he took that year off in 13 just to spend time with his family he came back in 14 but uh yeah everyone was like wow like that was i feel like the peak of my not necessarily the peak, but it was where I was a lot of people's favorite wrestler because there weren't a lot of people, there weren't there weren't anyone really on Team USA who was who was bringing home medals perennially. Everyone was everyone was struggling on the international scene, so I was the only guy that was not only winning medals but winning gold medals. Um, and so it was a cool time. I was kind of like the face of the program and the face of wrestling. So when you talked about wrestling you really only talked about me um in that era so it was cool but you know it's it's, it's nice yeah. to have teammates that can win too i enjoy that um so after that 2014 was was the first year where um you you didn't win it and uh that was you lost to sargush was was that right you lost to sargush yep. um was that in the semis semis yep semis, but semis. that was like the first glimpse of the Jordan Burroughs, um, like humanity, I guess that, that Jordan Burroughs is human. And then, um, but then you were able to bounce back just like we've seen you do the last two years, um, to take bronze. And, um, and then the next year you immediately bounce back, you beat, uh, Kyle Dake. Um, and then you ended up winning in Vegas. What was that transition like from, Losing your first match to Marable, losing to Sargouche, and then having to bounce back to eventually win in Vegas. Um, it, it was fun. I was I was excited to compete in Vegas. It was my favorite World Championships that I've competed in. Being here stateside, we got to do all of our training and preparation for the event down in Arizona and Phoenix, right at ASU's campus, and so we were home. We didn't have to travel to some faraway country and be in an uncomfortable training situation. Like we got to really be at home. My family was with me. It was just Lauren and Beacon at the time. Um, 
And we were in Vegas, like my entire family came out to watch. The stands were packed with a ton of American fans. I had a, so cool. an amazing performance. I won six matches in a single day. I became a world champion. I had to go out and celebrate in Vegas that night afterward. It was uh, it was pretty special. I think the biggest thing for me is I didn't really lose heart when I lost to Sargush. I, I just had to figure out some things um, from an evolutionary perspective. I just needed to become a better wrestler. Whenever I get beaten, I always chalk it up to becoming a better wrestler. And that's and that's in every fashion, not just I need to learn more moves. Like I need to be more efficient. I need to learn how to execute um, with more effectiveness. I need to uh, be more mentally um, disciplined in certain situations. I need to be more savvy um and in certain circumstances uh just just little things like that i think always working on my mental toughness always sharpening my my uh my attitude and then always uh trying to be better technically is going to help me improve continuously so yeah that was kind of one of the things i just went back to the drawing board and i knew i was still great and i could do things really well and uh yeah some days it works out for you some days it doesn't but yeah out for me and it was uh it was pretty cool to do it at home in front of my family and to get redemption after losing in 2014 it was a lot of fun i hope we get to have um the world championships in america again sometime soon hopefully within your career again but um i don't know how likely that is just because we had it pretty recently um that'd be nice wouldn't it it would it'd be great um and since i was that was 2015. I guess I'd kind of started. That was around the time where I'd started to follow the sport a little bit more. Um, so it'd be cool if I if I got to experience a world championship here. I think um, they do one in they or not Vegas in LA. So Olympics are in LA in 2028. So I think they're yeah. shooting 2027. That'd be so cool. Um, if if yeah, I'd love Olympics in LA. Um, but moving forward, uh, to the Olympics, Olympic year you had, um, still made the team, Mm -hmm. same old, same old, and, um, the Olympics went a little bit different, um, than what you thought, and you lost to Godoyev, Mm -hmm. who you had beaten the year before at, at Worlds in the semis, was it? Yeah, in the semis. And then, uh, Abdurakamanov after that, and this is kind of like, a big part of your story is is the Olympics and all the struggles you had after that and questioning if you're going to retire after that. And, and it's crazy to look back that you questioned retiring in 2016 and now you're talking about going to, to 2024. It's pretty funny. Um, it's crazy, right? But just walk me through the adversities you had and, and how you were able to overcome those. Yeah, just uh, at the time it was difficult because you want to be a champion. I. I've learned now to think less about the result and more about the performance. And I think that's one of the things that I've lost sight of when I was wrestling at the Olympic Games in 2016. I thought about everything that was to come from being an Olympic champion again and less about actually just going out there and and winning position, controlling the ties, moving my feet, getting to my attacks, um, you know, circling back to the center, maintaining good position. All those little things that I wasn't really thinking about in the match, I was just thinking about win, 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 win. Um, and so there, there's just a lot of things that went on, and 
I think Godoy have had a great game plan for the match and just the way the match ebbed and flowed and all the stoppages, I could never really get in a rhythm within the match. And it, I just struggled mentally to get dialed in. And it just ended so quick that I felt like I never really had a chance to to really get wrestling. Um, so it was a difficult time. And so after getting beat by Godoyev, now transitioning to, hey, you're still in this thing. You can still do this. You can still come back and get a bronze medal. But for me, I'm like... I don't even want a bronze. Like, I wanted to win the gold. A bronze means nothing, which was a foolish thought process now looking back where a bronze is meaningful. A bronze is meaningful. I wish I could go back now. I would love to have that Olympic bronze medal in my trophy case now. Um, but I was just being a baby at the time, and I wasn't ready to come back and regather my thoughts and, and collect myself and go out and compete again. So hours after being devastated and being knocked out of gold medal contention, I had to come back and wrestle Bexad, who I already knew was tough. We still always have tough matches um, now, but you know, it was, it was, it was the worst defeat I've, I'd taken ever in my career and will ever take is uh, I've never been tech balled, never, you know, no one's ever scored that many points on me. So, you know, and it just so happened to be after my most devastating loss. So, you know, I, I think that there was a lot to be learned from that situation. For me, I had to figure out how to operate in adversity. I was always a front runner. It was, it's easy to always wrestle hard on the front side and the gold medal still at stake. But I had to learn to dig deep within myself to display the same character that I display on the front side, on the back side. And I had to also just deal with the ramifications of not winning something that I really wanted to win badly. So whenever you don't accomplish a goal, you know, there are consequences for that, whether it's, you know, pain, embarrassment, humiliation, and, you know, sadness, depression, all of those things for a while. And once I decided to come back, I was like, okay, well, it's gone. You can't win the gold again or at least not this one um but there's still more gold medals on the table and so the last thing i wanted to do was to sulk for so long that i missed out on a chance to win a world championship in 2017 too so i just got back at it and i got back on my horse and then seeing kyle date come down from 86 to 74 like oh jb's done i'm gonna go back down to 74 and, and take this spot kick him while he's down that kind of motivated me too i was like I felt like people thought that I was vulnerable. Like I was this guy that was unable to do it anymore. And it just, it propelled me and it pushed me and it really helped me to get to a good place mentally where I was, I was driven all year long. And uh, I started to take risks and I started to learn different angles and started to right. improve the wrestler. And I was ready to, to put it on the line no matter what. And I was, it was good. It was a good year. It was a good year. Um, and then, like you said, you bounced back. Um, but you had Kyle Dake moving down. And Kyle Dake, you had wrestled before. Um, and like I said earlier, is kind of the start of a, a rivalry when you wrestled him earlier um, in, in 2013 or was it 2015? Um, Both. I think 13, it was, yeah, 13 and 15. So um, when you wrestled him in 2017, he got you in the first match. 
and it was like you had lost to Godoyev, lost to Abdurakamanov, and then lost to Kyle Dake, um, all back to back to back. Right. Yep. And um, just the the jump that you had to make, um, and and what people saw because obviously you had confidence in yourself that that you could do this again, and um, but this was was this your first loss in um, a World Team Trials match? Yeah, that was my first. That was. Um, so. That was my first loss in America. In America. In America. Period. That's crazy. And since then, it's been just two. Just yeah, Imar, Imar and yeah. and Dake. Yeah. Um, so when you wrestled him, obviously from the fans' perspective, um, you you've kind of lost it, but obviously in your mind. Um, you've got the confidence that you can bounce back and, and you can keep fighting, and that's what you did. You won the next match and the one after that to to fight back and then eventually had to beat Abdurakamanov in the semifinals of the World Championships and then obviously Sabalov after that. Um, yeah. So walk me through that, what was going on in your mind when, when uh, you lost to Dake and then when you had to fight back and then did did you train at all with Dake that summer, and what was the training process like after Rio? Um, no, we didn't. We didn't train at all that year. Um, and when I lost the first match, I was I was disappointed, but more so, I was like, shoot, you never want to let him get the first match because he's he's so tactical, and he's a very smart wrestler, and he knows how to do just enough to get his hand raised. And so when I realized that I was going to potentially lose because he had such a big lead, I said, okay, well, make him work. He was up 6-1, to one and the score ended up being 6-6. Six to six. And uh, I was like, okay, well, make him work for these positions. Make him work, push him, get to the attacks, wear him down, get him tired, make him strained, make him stressed, and... Going into the second match, I was like, okay, well, let's see if he's actually worn out. But he he wasn't. He wrestled smart and he wrestled tactical and he came out and got the first takedown. And I was like, shoot, I don't know. This guy's he's not wearing down. He's not wearing down. He's focused. Um, and then, you know, the drastic finish in the second match and then being able to, to pull that one out. And I knew that after the second match that, that was gonna, it was going to be difficult for him to come back and win the third um, just because, like, I I always prided myself on my conditioning, whatever forever, whatever it's worth. I think that at the time, a lot of people were like, okay, well, Kyle's had to wrestle all day long, right? And, and he's had multiple matches against really great guys, so yeah, he doesn't have anything left in the third match. Of course, Jordan's gonna win because he hasn't wrestled and he's got this advantage, and it's an unfair advantage, and so he's gonna wear him down in the third. But if this year's final X is any indication, like, I just in, in good shape. I, I can always right. wrestle for as long a period of time as I need to. So as crappy as I wrestled in the first two matches against Imar, you know, getting winning the first and then losing the second, I widened the gap in the third and dominated. Um, and we both, we had the same amount of matches throughout the day. Um, and so I've, I've always prided myself on my ability to, to be prepared from a fitness level standpoint and I wanted to kind of push him and try to get him uncomfortable but 
going into the third match, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, who wants it more? Who, we're both tired. We're both exhausted. And I know that he's wrestled more matches throughout the day, but we'll see who can get to their positions, execute, and then hold the other guy off. And so it, it was a big relief for me being able to beat Kyle because I felt like I was on the brink of of losing and I don't know where my career would have progressed from that one year out from Rio terrible performance there then not even make the team the following year would have been it might have been it might have changed my whole career the dynamics of my career um and so I went from being within seconds in that crotch lift position of losing that second match going 0-2 and not making the team to being a world champion that summer and now parlaying that world championship into two more bronzes and now a spot in the finals of the Olympic trials. There's such a small margin of error in wrestling and in life period, but it's also crazy how such a small change can create catastrophic, life-changing results afterwards. And so who knows what the future holds for me, but I know, you know, I went from, almost not making the team to winning three more medals since. Um, so it's, it's pretty wild. It, it really is. And um, I mean, looking forward to this, this last year, 2019 final X, um, this is your second time wrestling. Imar in final X second time in Lincoln since then it was basically yeah. like a, just a replay of the last year. Um, sure. But this year is a lot closer. You, um, you missed weight. What, what was it by 0.2 kilograms? Yeah, it was. Um, so, yeah, it was weird, bro. And it, it, it kind of threw me off my whole everything was I was just rattled. It was hard to get back into the mindset like, hey, you still got to wrestle here today. And this guy's tough and he wants to beat you and he's ready. So I was I was down to weight. I was under. So I got out of the sauna, got my singlet on. I'm like, okay, I was like a pound under. So I'm like, this is great. So I'm like, okay, well, still got another hour, hour and a half into weigh-ins. I'm going to drink a little bit. So I drank until I was on. So I drank up, drank up until I was 74.0 on the on our scale up in our locker room. And I was like, okay, I'm good to go. Got my singlet. I'm good. Got I can just sit, kick my feet up, relax for the next hour, shower, and just get ready. And so then we go down maybe about 10, 15 minutes before the weigh-ins are began because they're live broadcasted. Right. So they they did a live broadcast and they have all the other wrestlers and all the other matchups line up and we were the last match of the night. So maybe like seventh match, eighth match, whatever. I'm not sure what we were. Uh, but we were very last in line. So they go out, okay, Tamir Mensa, you know, Jakara Winchester, all these people go out, Kyle Snyder. They all get on the scale, do their face-off, talk about them a little bit, and they walk off. So... I didn't realize that I was over because I had never even stepped on the scale because the check scale was inside the room that the broadcast was being hosted in. So I never even walked in there to think, okay, step on this scale. Usually you go in weigh-ins, you got like all these different lines, the check scales right at the front, everyone's sitting around scales in line and you just go and step on and then go take your place in line. So I never really did that. And so when I finally got on the scale, I was 74.2 and I'm like, what and 0.2 kilos is like not that's like almost a half that's like 0.4 that's almost a half a pound and so i'm like and so i'm like oh no i'm already showered like everything and so 
they're like, you got 20 minutes, you got 20 minutes. And I had like, I, when I say I cooled down, like I was cooled down. I hadn't done anything in over an hour. The sauna, so I run back up to the locker room. The sauna's off. Oh, the sauna man. was off because everyone, everyone had already gotten down to weight. Everyone was out of the wrestling room. The sauna's off. So I'm like, oh my goodness. So I run in there and I, I try to turn the sauna on. But when you turn the sauna on and then you start dousing it with water. I'm trying to douse it with water to get it hot. But when all the water would go on the rocks, it would automatically kick it off. And so I'm in the sauna and I'm trying to turn the sauna off or on and put water on it to bring the steam up and make it hot right. and get my sweat broken. But the sauna keeps turning off. In order to turn it back on, you have to get out of the sauna to turn the switch. So I'm like in and out of the sauna, keep trying to turn it on and off. Um, and like, I'm not even really breaking a sweat. And I only had like 15 minutes at this point. And so I'm like, I'm in the sauna, I'm freaking out. So I grab like a sauna suit that I saw like laying in the locker room, grab a sauna suit and I got it on. And I'm like bouncing around inside the sauna and Manning comes, he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, bro, I'm still overweight. So he's like pulling water on the sauna and like trying to keep it on. And I'm like doing all this stuff. So I get, I get on the scale. I get on the scale. Hi, sis. You back? So I get on the scale and in the locker room and I'm 73.8. I'm like, okay, I'm good. So I'm 73.8. I go back down and I'm still, it's still flickering, right? It's still 74.0, And so eventually they were just like, all right, you're good. They just like gave me a pass. Oh, um, oh, and I'm standing on the scale and like, there was no time. There was no time left. Like they were like, you either have now or, or you're done. So I remember taking my singlet off on live TV. I got naked in front of the broadcast and Ew. yeah i know Ew. that was ill huh and so i put tamir mensa was still in there and she gave me one of her singlets she was like here try my singlet my singlet's really light and so i put her singlet on i'm like standing on all different spots of the scale like 74.0 74.1 i'm like trying to find the light spot of the scale um and finally they were like all right you're good and i was just like so and then we had to wrestle in an hour and a half and so I had to get warmed up, get ready to wrestle, like still eat and rehydrate, replenish. And just a short period of time, it was rough, man. It was it was not pleasant. It was a rookie mistake on my behalf, even drinking water before weigh-ins. Like, you don't do that type of stuff. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was hard to get back to relaxed. It was hard to get relaxed again and get re-prepared to, to compete. But... You know, fortunately, I was able to do it, and I think as as the day progressed, as exhausted as I was from that whole ordeal, I was uh, I was thankful that I was able to uh, pull it together and get it done. Because I knew if if I could get out of the day, I would be better on the other side. It's like just right. make it through the day. Don't pity party. Don't feel bad. Don't like let this affect your performance. Don't you know go out there and wrestle poorly and be afraid. Like get out of the day. Make it through the day. Win the day. And then you can rest, you can eat, you can chill, you can laugh and tell jokes about this day for months to come, but get out of the day. What did that next two hours look like for you after you um, had made weight? You still had another, um, let's see, it was two-hour weigh-ins, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you were the last match. So you probably had another three hours before you had to compete. What did you fill that time with? How much? How long did you rehydrate? How much time did you spend eating, working out, warming up, getting ready to go? 
what were, what were those three hours? How were those spent? Um, a little bit of everything. So I went up, and everyone was pretty much eating by the time that I got up there because I had taken some additional time, and I was, like, really stressed. So, one, I just needed to decompress for a while. I didn't even start eating for, like, maybe 20, 30 minutes. I just kind of needed to lay down and just, like, relax my mind and ease all this anxiety. I was, like, scared because I'm, like, I'm not going to – I'm going to miss weight. I'm going to miss weight, and I'm going to automatically forfeit my spot on the world team. I'm already going to become a world team member, and now I'm going to have to battle back through the Olympic trials and the U.S. Open and all this stuff next year. Like, this is going to be awful. So all these things are going through my head at this time. Like, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Um, and so I'm trying to, like, calm myself. And so I just needed about 20 minutes to just relax and refocus. And so once that kind of – subsided i decided to get some food and then after the food get ready get dressed and coaches are like hey listen it's over like it's fine maybe wait you're good to go and so now i'm like stressed i'm like well i'm thinking okay well are they gonna like try to protest and say like well hey jb didn't make it like jb never like was really official he never it didn't stop at zero or he wasn't under it was still flickering like i'm like thinking about all these you know, negative scenarios that could possibly come up over the next hour or so. So once they were like, you're good, win's done, you're in, but we're going to wrestle now. Then I could kind of relax a little bit. And so I got warmed up. And I think it, it it just was like, it was just a stressful event, you know. And so trying to get back to a normal, like, effective and, like, confident mindset was, was a little tough, Um but I also knew, like, looking in the face, like, after wrestling, I, like, realizing what I was what I was up against. Like, the first match, Russell well, I had to pull it out of the can. Second match, got caught sleeping, and he took me down and turned me. Um, and then in the third match, I'm like, okay, it's time to stop playing around. Like, you got to get it. This guy's going to beat you. He's, he's, not, he's not kidding. Like, I think when you beat someone – handily in the past you think it's going to be easy every time You're like, right, oh, this, right. this this guy can't beat me you know but i watched imar get better and i wrestled him at the beginning of the summer of 2018 and at the end of the summer of 2018 and our matches got progressively closer and i could feel the gains that he was making and uh so it, there was there was a difference there and i knew he was going to be ready so i had to really take myself to a different place um psychologically to to be prepared to to go out there and get it done because I knew it wasn't going to be easy. But if there's one thing that I always can pride myself on, it's it's toughness. It's it's just just pure toughness and the ability to to dig down deep and make things happen when when times are hard. And so yeah, I just had to do that, and uh, I was able to do it. Well, it was really entertaining from from the fans' point of view. Um, just the the battles. It's it's always great to see. Um, from a fan's perspective to see the top guy or the, the hero have to battle through some adversities and stuff. And, um, so looking forward to this year, um, it was, I think a couple days ago, the Olympics were postponed. I'm sure you had kind of been expecting it. Um, but as an, as an athlete, you can't let your thoughts get too much into that because there is still the chance that it would still go down and you had to be prepared for it. Um, so how much did you let yourself expect that? And how much did you let yourself have to keep thinking about, well, I have to, I have to still be prepared. Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of both. I knew that 
either way, if the Olympics were going to happen, there still was going to be a large postponement for the trials. So trials are supposed to be this weekend. And I knew that they weren't going to be able to have trials until at least Memorial Day weekend, which is May 23rd, 24th, right. and potentially in June. So I'm like, even if they don't postpone the Olympics, I still got another two months after trials to, uh, after the original date to, to compete. Um, and so it was, I, I got a chance to, to get refocused, but I also kind of took some time because I just wrestled at the Pan Ams right. Pan championships. And so I was like, I'm going to take some time off anyway, whatever. Um, and so I got some time to just relax and just kind of shoot the breeze here and talk it, about it with the guys here and with our coaching staff and with Lauren. And once they made the official decision, it was kind of relieving because you didn't have to be in that limbo period anymore. Really, that was the best part about it because they had closed all the facilities here in Nebraska, so I couldn't even get into the wrestling room. I couldn't get into the sauna, into the pool, on the track. All those things were closed. So I had to really be dialed in on trying to figure out ways to do things differently. Um, someone got hurt. <laughs> hey, Beacon, take a seat. Take a seat in your room. I'll come and see you in a minute. Take a seat in your room, please. Um, yeah. So it, it was. It was. It was relieving because I was like, okay, I don't have to do crazy stuff trying to figure out how to uh, how to how to train right now in this dangerous times in these like adverse circumstances so it was more of relief and honestly I wasn't I wanted to I was considering wrestling after 2020 anyway so to add an additional year and wrestle through 2021 wasn't really like shocking to me and it kind of in a way it could help you too to take some time off and then it like you said I I heard you talking with Mike Mal about this is that makes it a three-year span that if you're competing in 2021 um that's only three years away from from 2024 yeah it's a lot easier to get to 2024 for sure yeah it's definitely easier um so we'll see i mean it's going to be a tough year no matter what no one knows when we're going to be able to be unquarantined right can actually get back into the wrestling room and get to training full-time with our partners and our coaching staff and then from there what the tournament schedule is going to look like when we can start to travel again and host training camps at the Olympic Training Center and really start to make adjustments and improvements. And then, you know, knowing that Kyle Dake is at 74 kilos, that I'm going to have my hands full trying to make the team again anyway. Um, but I, I'm i confident in my ability to, to be prepared. And I think that I was catching on to some good stuff this year. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some things that I'm starting to learn about myself and my training and what I need and my nutrition and things like that, that I'm going to have an additional year to really focus in on. Um, and so I'm kind of excited about the additional year. It's like, okay, we're really close to the Olympic trials, but now we're going to push them back a year so you can get even better. And it's going to be hard. There are going to be some days, there are going to be struggles. They're going to be longer than others. I'm not going to feel like training. I'm not going to be as hungry or as dialed in, but right. I think if I can stay disciplined, um, Throughout this year, I'm going to put myself in a really good position to not only make the team, but to be dominant. I I feel good about where I'm at right now, and I think it's uh, it's going to be a good year. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for the Olympics and Olympic trials. Um, my plan was to be going to uh, State College for it, um, but hopefully I'll be able to get to um, 2021 yeah, uh, Olympic sure. trials. And um, one, a, a couple more things I wanted to cover. One of them was um, just looking at the, the difference between the, the team in 2011 um, that you competed for and where Team USA has gone to winning a world title in, in um, 2017. That was the first one since 1995 mm-hmm. that USA's won, and, and we've been at the top of it now, and I don't think we're going anywhere either. I think we're staying right at the top of the, of the world. Um, and that's kind of coming in your leadership as the face of USA Wrestling. What do you think your role has been in progressing wrestling in the United States? Um, come here, B. Hey, B, come here, buddy. Okay. Let's take a seat. What happened down there? I didn't want to wash my hands. Okay, can you say hi to Mr. Sam? Hi, Beacon. What's up? His name's Sam. Can you say hello? Hi. Hi, buddy. How's it going? Good. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, but yeah, so we are in a good place. Wrestling's in a good place, and it's not all because of me. Like, I like to think that I'm partially responsible for it. Um, but there's still there were grassroots implementations a long time ago that USA Wrestling really started to put in a place that are coming to fruition now. So RTCs and you know grassroots developments from, you know, Fargo to national team camps to that. They even have U, U15s now. They have, like, yeah. all these different levels, U15s, U23, junior world team, cadet world team, all these guys spending time at the Olympic Training Center and training with the best guys. Guys are getting younger faster or getting better younger, and they're wrestling at a higher level much faster than we could have ever imagined. So there was a time this summer where we were – at training camp getting ready for the world championships and we had you know 10 12 year old kids there mat side with us just going through the warm-ups going through the drills getting all the same training that we were getting you know they were babies and so they're going to be much more advanced when they're 18 19 years old than we had the ability to be because we were just you know relegated to wherever we grew up in the environment that we were given so that was that was much different but yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been cool to be a part of. In 2011, you know, we didn't have a ton of success. And to arrive to a place where we're a world championship team and we can compete at every weight class and we're deep at every weight class, it's pretty special that I've been able to see that through. So that original season, we're kind of just being a young up-and-comer and trying to kickstart USA Wrestling, be in the face for a long time, to now we have a num- numerous heroes on the squad. And they all are really good. Uh, he's with me, love. Is mama making lunch? I don't know. No. Um, and so it's it's been it's been cool. I think a couple of things that I've been able to be at the forefront are, are you know, sponsorships. Being right. Able to, you know, have, you know, a signature wrestling shoe and, you know, being marketable and being able to brand well and doing things like that. I think that's cool. I've been able to help create that and establish that as a wrestler um i would say you know 
pop culture being able to you know wrestling is cool like wrestling is cool wrestlers are cool they're stylish they're fashionable they're you know they're into popular culture and they're not just like strong meatheads that you know lift a whole bunch of weights and put each other in headlocks um i would also say you know being a you know a man of faith and a family man just like being an ambassador and role model for the sport um, always trying to maintain and balance the way people view our squad and what their their role models are doing and what they they look like and trying to uh, always move and operate responsibly on my end and then um, just showing people that they can win like I think a lot of people just didn't believe that they can win years ago now everyone that graduates college is like I'm gonna be a world champ I'm gonna be an Olympic champion and I just was like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it happen. And I, I believe that it's possible. And I started to believe it was possible too afterwards. And so, yeah, it just works now. It just works. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, uh, you know, talking about starting wrestling um, earlier, like kids are getting a lot better now. Do you have plans for how you will in um, like have Beacon and Aura and, and maybe Rise later on involved in the sport of wrestling and, and whether they want to be competitors themselves, and, and what's that going to look like with, um, obviously, their dad is one of the biggest um, faces in the sport of wrestling. So have you have you given that a lot of thought? Yeah, we think about it. Beacon likes to wrestle. What do you think, B? You think he'll be a wrestler? Yeah, I, I think Beacon really likes it, and he's got the capacity to work. I think he showed some mental toughness, and He's willing to put hard work in. That's one thing I can see from him at a young age. And hopefully, Oren Rise would like to to compete as well. Um, but I want to be very cautious with the amount of pressure that I put on them. Right. I want them to create their own journey and their own identity. But if it's through wrestling, then why not through wrestling? Yeah. It's what I know best. And people, people kids admire their dads. Admire their dads, and this journey has been a team effort the entire time. And so I want them to uh, to see that and be like, man, I want to do what my dad did because I think it's great sport. And I think in terms of character development and what it does for you, your confidence and your psyche and your psychology and your ability to to operate as a man and a woman is is huge and better than any other sport. So yeah, I'm gonna teach them. I'm gonna give them as much as I can, everything that I know, and hopefully they go on to be champions. And if not, you know, I think the, the lessons that they'll learn from the sport are, are worthwhile That's, as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And the, and the environment they're into, like, it's not just you that they live in um, Lincoln and they have Coach Snyder and Manning that are right there and they grow up in the wrestling room just yeah. because of where you are. Um, yeah. It, it, it's going to be pretty cool to watch as, as they get older and start to compete themselves and everything. Um, I bet people are going to be coming up to them all the time and asking them stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, thanks so much for the time, Jordan. This was an awesome interview, and I'm, I'm really glad we got to make it happen. Yeah, for sure, bro. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking time out of your quarantine day to spend some time with me, man. It's great talking to you, and best of luck to you moving forward. Keep working hard and doing what you can in this time period and uh, staying hopeful and excited to see you back on the mat and outside of your studio. And uh, I don't know, have we ever met? I don't think so. No, hopefully. I don't think so. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see each other, if not before 
the world team or Olympic team trials next year. I'll see you in uh, State College next April. That sounds good. All right. Until All right. then, Jordan, thanks so much. Yes, sir. See you later, man.